0: The following message is presented by Erie Evangelical Free Church in Erie, Illinois. We are a church that exists for the good of our community and are proud to share the gospel of Jesus Christ as we seek to know him and make him known. I'm sure that most of us have at least heard the term silver bullet. You've heard that used in different scenarios. and uh, It's actually a, a phrase that was coined by Sir Walter Scott famous author back in 1808. And over the course of the last 200 years, it's been through uh, a process of being changed and utilized until you get to a point where today in our vernacular, the term silver bullet is used to describe an immediate and highly effective solution to a difficult problem. And there are literally thousands upon thousands upon thousands of leadership books that are written about trying to give you the silver bullet. The silver bullet is that one thing that if you would just fix, if you would change, if you would figure out, then all the problems that you're facing would go away because you have the silver bullet. And while thousands upon thousands upon thousands of leadership books and seminars and training courses exist to find that silver bullet to give you an effective and profitable business, the reality is none exists. There is never the one thing that if you just do this one little thing, make this one little change, then everything goes smoothly. Because the reality is leadership, in whatever form it may take, requires more than just one action. It requires a wisdom that stems from faithfulness to the task at hand through the unexpected ups and downs that may come. And as followers of Jesus Christ, we understand that true, faithful, God-honoring leadership doesn't require us some book of obscure tricks or newfound methodology. Biblical, godly, faithful leadership requires biblical faithfulness from the faithful leader, a commitment to the task at hand through the unexpected ups and downs that may come. And I know as I say this this morning, as I give you this introduction talking about leadership, some of you were sitting here going, okay, this is great, but what does this have to do with me? Because I'm not a leader. And what I would say to you is you are dead wrong. You are a leader. Every single one of us in this room, if we call upon Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, we are called to be leaders. And I don't know what leadership looks like in your context on this Father's Day, we, we talk about fathers, and fathers are called to be leaders in their home, to lead their families well. Maybe you're, you are a leader in your business setting. Maybe you're a, a leader in the community. Maybe you're a leader of your children. Maybe you're a leader in a classroom. Maybe you're a leader in a, some kind of small group. Maybe you're a leader of your friends. Maybe you're a leader of that one person that you have constant, continual conversations with. But the reality is no matter where you're at, you are called in some way, shape, or form to be a leader. At the very least, you are called to lead others to the glory and the truth of Jesus Christ. So when we talk about leadership, we're talking about something that affects every single one of us. And today, on Father's Day, as we gratefully celebrate our biological and spiritual fathers, I want to ask you this this one thing. As we look at the leadership around us, those who have helped us to grow and mature as human beings and in our faith, I want to ask you this question. What can we learn about biblical leadership to help us grow into the faithful leaders that God has called us to be in whatever role he has called us to be a leader in. The answer we're going to find is in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 13 and 14, where the apostle Paul is going to close out his letter to the, to the Corinthian church. And remember, this is a, a letter written to a church telling them how to live together, how to live out the faith together how to be one body, one church in unity and faithfulness. And and as he closes this letter in chapter 16, he gives us this instruction in verses 13 and 14 in which he's going to show us five characteristics of biblically faithful leaders. So how do we grow in biblically faithful leadership? We grow in these five areas. And first he tells us that faithful leaders are vigilant Faithful leaders are vigilant. Let me read for you verse 13 and 14, and then we'll come back and we'll begin to pick this apart. 1 Corinthians 16, verse 13. Be alert, stand firm in the faith, be courageous, be strong. Verse 14, do everything in love. All right, so again, the first characteristic Paul gives us is faithful leaders are vigilant. That first part of verse 13, he says, be alert, be alert. And some of your translations may say, be watchful. What he's reminding us is that we have an enemy in Satan who is always looking for ways to trip us up and to ensnare our hearts and to pull us away from faithfulness to Jesus Christ. In 1 Peter 5, verse 8, Peter reminds us to be sober-minded, be alert, be vigilant. Your adversary, the devil, is prowling around like a roaring lion looking for anyone he can devour. See, we have an enemy who's coming for us. If we are faithful to Jesus Christ, if we trust Jesus as our Lord and Savior, we have an enemy who is coming for us. Faithful leaders watch out for danger and seek to protect themselves and those under their care. Now, let me just say, this isn't a matter of paranoia or fear. And we don't walk around looking at everything in our lives, being like, I can't do this, or I can't do that, because Satan might get me. Well, Satan's coming to get me. He's coming after me. No, it's it's not that. But we also cannot live in blissful ignorance either. We need to remain aware of what's going on around us and how our enemy is looking for ways to take us down, is looking for the opportunity to pull us away from Jesus Christ. Spiritually, there's only one way for us to remain faithfully vigilant, and that is through prayer. See, we must be constantly going to the Lord in a consistent rhythm of prayer, in order to help us discern the lies and deceptions of our enemy, if we're to identify the threats to our spiritual well-being. See, because prayer is an act of humble submission. Prayer is declaring, God, I can't do this on my own. I can't figure this out. I'm not smart enough to navigate these waters, so I need you to do what only you can do. I need the wisdom that only you can give so that I can see what needs to happen. See, without prayer, you and I are not strong enough to take on our enemy. Satan is more powerful than you, and Satan is more powerful than me. Satan is more powerful than us together, but our God is more powerful than Satan. So we don't need to be afraid. We don't need to be fearful because we serve the one who is victorious over our enemy. But we need to remember that we can't defeat the enemy on our own. We come prayerfully seeking God's wisdom, God's strength, God's provision, God's deliverance. Without prayer, we will never be strong enough to see through the lies of our enemy and the attacks that are coming our way. So we must be vigilant. The question is, are we actively seeking God's wisdom to lead and guide well in the uncertainty of life, in the battles of life, in the struggles of life, through the lies and the deceptions of life in this world? Faithful leaders are vigilant. Second, we find that faithful leaders are grounded Faithful leaders are grounded. Look at the way Paul continues. Be alert. Stand firm in the faith. Stand firm in the faith. To stand firm in the faith is to have a firm foundation underfoot. To be rooted in the truth and the strength of our faith in Jesus Christ. It means standing firm in what we know to be true and leaning into biblical faithfulness even when it is opposed by everything you see and everything you know around you. In Isaiah, God speaks through Isaiah. And in the voice of of the people of Israel, Isaiah says, you will keep, you God will keep in mind, you will keep the mind that is dependent on you right? The mind that is dependent on you. Some translations will, will translate this, the steadfast of mind, the one who is grounded in his faith. You will keep the mind that is dependent on you, the steadfast of mind, in perfect peace, for he is trusting in you. How does God, who does God deliver peace? Those who are grounded in their faith, who trust in him, whose faith, whose foundation is rooted and established in him and him alone. See, leaders stand their ground. You want to see how this plays out in scripture? We give you two stories in scripture that, that show exactly how this works. The first is Genesis chapter three, right? The fall of Adam and Eve. And if you know this story, you know that God created the heavens and the earth, created this beautiful world to live in. It was perfect. It was without sin. And he puts Adam and Eve in the middle of the garden. He says, listen, you can live here. You can eat of all the fruit, all the trees, everything you see except for this one tree. And then Satan enters the picture. And he comes up to Eve. And he says, remember what his, what his question was to Eve? His question really was, hey, did God really say what he said? Do you really believe that when God said this, he meant that? And Eve listens to Satan and is like, you know that, you make a good point, Satan. That that seems to make sense to me. Okay, I'll eat the fruit. And so she eats the fruit. And you remember where Adam is in all of this. He's standing right beside her. Adam heard God speak just the same as Eve heard God speak. But Adam watched, instead of standing firm in his faith and protecting this woman that God gave him as his wife, he stood by, watched her be deceived, and then she handed him the the fruit. And he took a bite. Now let's look at another story in Matthew chapter two. Jesus is baptized, initiating his ministry, initiating the purpose for which he had come. And immediately he's out in the wilderness for 40 days without eating. And it says, and then he was hungry. And there's some physiological things going on there if you do like a 40-day fast, you're, you're hungry initially, which is normal. We, we all get hungry when we don't eat for a few hours. But if you fast for a long time, your body kind of shuts down and doesn't feel hunger for a long period of time. At around 40 days, your body will get hungry again. And what that is, is it's the warning light in your body saying, hey, we're going to die. It's been too long. We've used up every bit of reserves of everything we have. We are going to die. And this is where Jesus is. And just like with Eve, Satan comes to Jesus and offers three, three temptations. And really, these three temptations are just a variation on the theme of what Satan had asked Eve. Eve. Satan says, really, did God say this is the only way for you to go to the cross, suffer, and die? Satan says, I can give you everything you're looking for on the cross, just don't do that. I can give you what you want, just reject God. Right? Did God really say this is the way it has to be? And how does Jesus respond? With the truth of God's word. With scripture, he stands firm on the foundation of the word of God. Adam is wishy-washy. He stumbles and he fails. Jesus stands his ground and is victorious. There are many different reasons I could give you for why you and I need to live in God's word, be saturated in God's word. One of them is so that you and I can be sure-footed against the deceptions and the half-truths of the enemies of God's purposes. I love the way Charles Spurgeon says it. The great preacher once said, um, visit many good books, but live in the Bible. He says you can find Intelligence. You can grow your mind. You can learn lots of things in many different books. He says, but you have to live in the Bible, be saturated in the truth of God's word because without the truth of God's word, you cannot discern what is true and what is not in all the other books and all the other wisdom of the world. The reality is there are far too many people out there who are smarter than us, who know more than us, who are better with their words than us, for us to overcome the opposition to God's kingdom with cunning logic or rhetorical skill. Our only defense, our only weapon is the truth. In Ephesians 6, 10 through 8, Paul says, put on the full armor of God. you Remember this? He says, put on the full armor of God, but do you remember in that full armor what the only weapon is? It's the word of truth. In verse 17, he says, take the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Right, the truth of the word of God. This is the one weapon for defense and for offense. See, no one can logically and reasonably oppose the truth. Many try, and there are many out there in our culture today who are trying to oppose the truth. And on the surface, it all looks good, but when you apply it and you really think through it, it comes out to be absolutely ridiculous. And I can promise you this, the truth of the culture that is devoid from the truth of God's word will always and only lead to misery and disappointment. But in Psalm 1, verse 1 through 3, we read, How happy is the one who does not walk in the advice of the wicked or stand in the pathway with sinners or sit in the company of mockers. Instead, his delight is in the Lord's instructions, and he meditates on it day and night. He is like a tree planted beside flowering streams that bears its fruit in its season, and its leaf, its leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prospers. He says, You walk in the ways of the world, you will be met with misery and disappointment. But when you walk in the truth of God's word, you find happiness, you find joy, you find life, you find delight, you find growth, you bear fruit, you find prosperity. That only comes when your roots sink deep into the truth and are on the firm, in the firm ground, the firm foundation of God's word. So what is the foundation for our leadership? What does the pathway forward look like for us? Where do we turn for advice and wisdom? Again, there's lots of places we can go and those could be good. They can be great helps. But we have to stand on firm ground. Faithful leaders are grounded. So, faithful leaders are are vigilant and grounded. Next, we see that faithful leaders are mature. Paul says, Be alert, stand firm in the faith, be courageous. Be courageous. And, And some of your Bibles have the literal translation here, which is act like men. Act like men. And we've talked about this before, but that is not a sexist statement at all. Some people hear that act like men. They're like, well, what are you talking about? You're saying only men can be courageous? Women can't be courageous? Why does it have to be act like men? Why, what's, what's this supposed to mean? Why is the Bible so sexist? It's not. Okay? If you're reading that as, as some kind of take of men against women, you are reading it 100% wrong. Because the word used here for act like men is the technical term for adult males. And the the emphasis, the contrast being made is not between adult male and adult female. The contrast being made is between adult male and a childlike male. It's about maturity over immaturity. It's about growing up and being who you're called to be. See, spiritual maturity knows the power of God's call and responds courageously because it has the confidence, not in its own ability, but in the Holy Spirit's power at work. See, faithful leaders are confident in the Lord and so they can be courageous in their maturity. Again, maturity is not about how many Bible verses you have memorized, what theological books you've read, or what kind of advanced degrees you might have in Greek and Hebrew. Those things are fine, they're good, they're helpful, but they're not the mark of maturity. Maturity is about a deep faith in the person and work of Jesus Christ that continually molds you and shapes you into a clearer reflection of his love. Maturity is seeking to think, act, and love like Jesus in service to others because he first loved you. To courageously live out our faith is to love as Christ loves, simply because Christ has loved. So you want to be courageous this week this is an area you struggle with? You want to be courageous? How do you do it? Do the faithful work of obeying God's commands. Faithfully and courageously be obedient to God. Even when it's in that moment, that season, that situation where you're like, I don't know that I really want to take a stand here. Can't I just go with the flow? Right? That's not mature. That's immaturity. That's putting yourself at the center. This is all about me and my comfort and what I want. Maturity acts courageously. Does your leadership in whatever area God has called you to lead flow from a mature pursuit of Jesus for Jesus' sake? Or is it about you? Is it about what others think of you? Is it about what you think you can gain from this? Or is it about the pursuit of Jesus for Jesus' sake? Faithful leaders are vigilant, grounded, and mature. Number four, Paul says, Faithful leaders are bold. Again, be alert, stand firm in the faith, be courageous, be strong. It says be strong, and and to be strong is not about physical strength. It's about spiritual strength, and this is related to the last point, to maturity, but there's an important distinction that that we need to make because maturity is about our faith. Maturity is about us growing in the knowledge of who Jesus is and what he has done for us and allowing it to, to, to make us strong to make us mature in our faith so that we're ready to follow God's commands. Boldness is about what we do with our faith, what we do with that mature, growing, fruit-bearing faith. And the reality is you and I serve a victorious Jesus who defeated sin and death So that we can be filled with the Holy Spirit and be united with the power of the Father who created the heavens and the earth with nothing but a word from his mouth. If that is true, and let me tell you, it is true. But if that is true, then what do you and I have to fear? What do you and I have to fear? See, when we are paralyzed by fear, whether that's God telling us to share our faith with someone, whether that's God challenging us to change the way we think or the way we approach a situation, the the call to grow and mature in our faith. When we are paralyzed by fear, it's because we've forgotten Jesus' victory. We've forgotten that he has already won, but when we remember his victory, it gives us boldness to act confidently. The apostle Paul knew this so well. If you go back to his his writing in the book of Philippians, Philippians is this incredible book where Paul is in prison. He doesn't know if he's gonna live or die. And he continues to come back to like, hey, have joy. Whatever you're facing today, be joyful. Because you know what? I'm joyful sitting here in prison, not knowing if I'm gonna die. And if you remember part of what he writes in that, he's like, hey, I don't know if I'm gonna live or die. You know, but if I live, that's great. I'll keep keep doing ministry for you. But if I die, that's awesome. He's like, if I die, I get to go be with the Father. Why? Because Jesus has already won. Now, let me tell you, I do not share Paul's enthusiasm for death. I wish I did and I hope someday to get there, but I struggle with that right now. I struggle with that at this point in my life. but that's because I forget how victorious Jesus is and what that really means. Because if I remembered his victory, I would have boldness to face even death. The author of Hebrews, in Hebrews chapter 13, verse six, in, in, in quoting the Psalms, says, therefore we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper, I will not be afraid. What more can man do to me? Right? The Lord is my helper. The victorious Jesus is my helper. And he's victorious. So I don't have to, I don't have to be afraid in this life. Because what can man do to me? The worst man can do to me is kill me. Right? And Paul has told us, listen, if man kills me, that's a great thing. So the worst thing man can do to you and me is the best thing we could experience. Is that crazy? Yes, but it's awesome. See, faithful leaders know the victory of Jesus and desire to put that into play with boldness. Faithful leaders are confident, not in their own ability, but in the Holy Spirit's power. Think about your faith displayed in your actions today, the way you live out your faith. Are you bold or are you terrified? Whichever your answer is, why? Faithful leaders are vigilant, grounded, mature, and bold. Finally, in verse 14, Paul concludes his list. He says this, Be alert, stand firm in the faith, be courageous, be strong. Do everything in love. Faithful leaders are loving. Faithful leaders are loving. Paul ties a bow on this whole list. And in fact, the previous four characteristics only matter if we get this one right. Those other four don't matter if we don't have number five. Faithful leaders are loving. He says, do everything in love. Paul closes this section out with this one overarching principle. And he says, whatever you do, desire, thought, deed, whatever it is, do it in love. He says faithful leaders love. Listen again, it doesn't matter how smart we are, or how much knowledge we we possess or what kind of business acumen we think we may have. If we don't act in love, love is seeking the best for others. If we don't act in love, we're not faithful leaders. We may be successful or widely respected and acclaimed in our little niche of life, but we're not faithful. So whether you are a father, grandfather, a mother, husband, wife, mentor, friend, servant, coach, teacher, boss, employee, whatever your role is in life right now, whatever those roles are where God has called you to be a leader, you have to ask yourself this one question. Is this, this thing I am about to do, this action, this thought, this deed, is this an act of Christ-like love for others? Now notice, I didn't say, will this make everybody happy? Notice I didn't say, will everyone agree with this? Notice I didn't say, will everyone even accept this as an act of Christ-like love? I said, is this an act of love that reflects the love of Jesus Christ? The love that is explained to us through the entire scriptures of our good, holy, perfect, heavenly father who loved us so much that he gave everything we could ever want. And in return, we rejected him. We said, thanks, but we can do this on our own. And as he pursued us over and over again, we continue to rebel and turn away from him and reject him. The story of the Old Testament is God saying, listen, if you want to reject me, that's fine, but here's how you have to live perfectly in order to save yourself, proving to us that we can't do it. And while he should have just left us and walked away, he continued to pursue us until at the perfect time he sent his one and only son, Jesus to be born in a manger in Bethlehem, to live a perfect life that you and I were created to live so that he could die a horrible death that you and I deserve to die, so that he could rise victoriously, conquering sin and death in a way you and I could never even begin to imagine conquering sin and death. Also, that he could deliver us completely to the Father as his perfect holy children, even though we have absolutely no right to stand in that place. Jesus' act of love is not accepted by all as an act of love. Jesus' act of love is not appreciated by all. Jesus' act of love does not make everyone happy. Jesus' act of love is rejected often, but it is a perfect act of love, not for his good, but for the benefit of his children. So when we say, is what I'm about to do an act of love? That's what we're talking about. And listen, if you can sit here today and say, yes, I, am, I act in love all the time. Great, that's awesome, keep it up. But if you look at your life and you say, no, I fail at this often, welcome to the club, okay? Because this is the group that I am in. You can join me here. When we find ourselves in that position, that's okay. Okay, we don't get it right every time. But if we find ourselves saying, no, that's not it. I'm not acting in love here. Okay, stop, recalibrate, refocus. And in the next step, be faithful in the love of Jesus Christ. If you want to lead, stop trying to make yourself look good and instead love as Christ first loved you. How will your next move build the faith of others, comfort them, and point them to Jesus? On this Father's Day, we celebrate the faithful, godly fathers in our lives. Maybe they're biological fathers, maybe they're spiritual fathers, maybe it's a husband, an uncle, a, a brother, a teacher, a coach, a mentor. It's a faithful, godly man who has led us in our spiritual journey. And church, let me tell you this. As the pastor of Erie Evangelical Free Church, I am blessed to see how many incredible, faithful, godly men are a part of this church. How many of you men are standing up faithfully to lead your families, to lead in the community, to lead in our schools, to lead in your businesses, to lead in all the places God has put you. Church, we are blessed. Let me tell you, we are blessed. And that is a great gift God has given us. And while we celebrate the men who's standing faithfully, we also realize that every single one of us in this room is called to some position of leadership. Maybe you don't lead at work or in the community, but, but maybe God is going to use you to lead in some way in your family, with your friends, with a group of Ignite students, or, or maybe it's just that one person that you're in a discipleship relationship, that one person that you're talking to about the faith. But whatever it is, because you are called to be a leader, you are called to be a faithful leader. This will require you to grow in the areas of of being vigilant, grounded, courageous, bold, and above all, loving. So as we prepare for the week ahead, we just ask ourselves, where do we need to seek the Holy Spirit's intervention in our lives to build and grow and develop our faith and our leadership? church family, brothers and sisters in Christ, may we be faithful in every task God calls us to as we seek to know and make known the gospel of Jesus Christ in our world in the days ahead. Let's pray together. Father God, you are so good and we thank you for being a perfect, holy, heavenly father. And while many of us may not have had a great example of a faithful, godly father in our lives, we know that you are good and you continue to surround us with faithful, godly examples, men who can point us back to you. And so we thank you that you've not left us on our own to try to figure all this out, but that you in your goodness, your grace, your mercy, your love, you have seen fit to continue to lead and guide us so that we might lead and guide others back to you. And so Father, we thank you for the gift of your love expressed through your son, Jesus Christ. We pray now that as we prepare for the week ahead, for for whatever you have in store for us, wherever you're calling us to go, wherever you're calling us to lead, Father, we just ask that you give us the wisdom and the strength to continue to carry out the calling that you have given us not for our benefit, not so that we would be seen as something, but so that others would know you and love you and serve you the way we have been blessed to know you and love you and serve you. You are so good and we are so grateful. And so we stand as your children, crying out to you, saying, Father, we love you. And in your great and awesome name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's message. If you'd like more information about Erie Evangelical Free Church or our ministries, please visit www.eriefree.com or join us in person at 1409 16th Avenue, Erie, Illinois.